Hey, everybody. In episode 25, we introduced you to Mary Jane and Lizzie Parnell. Mary Jane was married to Charles Wakefield Jr.'s lead attorney, Buddy Parnell. Lizzie is their daughter. During the course of our conversation about Buddy and his time on the Wakefield trial, the Parnells told me about Lizzie's older brother, Sefton, a child who endured five kidney transplants during his 13 years. When Buddy Parnell was working on Wakefield's case, Sefton was waiting on his first transplant. While this bonus episode has nothing directly to do with the Wakefield case, I wanted to share this part of the story with you so you have some sort of idea about the real people affected by the Wakefield case and what their lives were like afterward. So here's more of our conversation in which Mary Jane explains how Sefton's condition basically required the family to move in to Mass General Hospital in Boston and what that meant for them during the historic blizzard of 1978 when Buddy was stuck in Greenville and a blizzard separated him from his family and a critically ill child. He had posterior urethral valves, which means that there was a blockage that occurred in utero so that the, by the time that he was born, the damage was done. So he started with about 25% function in one kidney. One kidney never really formed. The kidney that did form was destroyed in utero. You can get by on 50% function with a kidney, but 25%, uh-uh. The first transplant, the doctors were literally going out to a pasture, to a horse and getting horse serum, which was what they used to control rejection and bringing it back illegally and made me sign a paper so that the federal government would not find out about it. It was called ATG, anti-thymus serum globulate. The government for the first transplant in 76 would allow a specific course treatment. And then when that was done, there was nothing to fight the rejection. He was rejecting my kidney. And so they came and said, we have a horse. <laughs> so the surgeons went out and, and drew the serum from this horse, proceeded to use it, and it ultimately didn't work. And it was very dramatic along the way in terms of medicine, because we really were about 10 years out on the frontier of medicine. I mean, we were, there was nothing that had ever been done before, just absolutely nothing. So we had this brilliant pediatric nephrologist who was out of Australia, who had been involved um, in his training in building the first dialysis machines. And so he was able to figure out a way to dialyze Sefton and keep him alive because after he rejected my first kidney, there were no alternatives. There was nothing. You couldn't dialyze him. There was no way to keep him alive because he had no kidneys. He was probably the first child that was ever hemodialyzed, certainly in the country, maybe in the world. Medicine had not gone far enough to put a small child, a three-year-old, on a dialysis machine. Sefton was like, and he walked into the intensive care unit the first day and said, parlez-vous Francais? And of course the nurses cracked up and that was it. They adored him and an institution like Mass General put their arms around him and embraced him for all those years. When Sefton got to the hospital the first time, children were not allowed ever into this hospital, ever. 
It just didn't happen. They didn't let children in still at that point. So the doctor, one of the doctors that we were seeing said, this is ridiculous. This baby has to bond with his mother. So Lizzie was kept in a bassinet in pediatric psychiatry <laughs> with a receptionist there. And I would run back and forth from the transplant unit every two hours or three hours and nurse her, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, they took it to the board at the hospital and said, this is ridiculous. This mother and this baby need to be together. So they were allowed Lizzie to come in with me and stay in the transplant unit back and forth. So I'm sitting on a gurney outside of dialysis, Sefton's on dialysis, and Dr. Heron comes whipping around the corner and says, don't go anywhere. I'm sitting here nursing Lizzie. Don't go anywhere. I've got a kidney on the way in for Sefton. And I'm like, Oh God, what do I do now? Nursing Lizzie, kidney on the way in. And th that's just the way it went. My password for him when I had my first job in high tech was Captain Courageous. And I know that sounds very corny, but Sefton was a courageous, ill, deathly sick child. He was never out of school unless he was in intensive care. He never complained about not feeling good. He was physically restricted in the things that he was able to do because of his nutritional status, because of his medical status. He was drifting back and forth from medical crises, but he still wanted to be in school every day. He still wanted to go outside and play and ride his bike. He still wanted to go to birthday parties. Friends became limited because he didn't grow. He was different. His social attitudes and his social abilities were thwarted. His life was difficult. It just was. But we were always marching forward from one transplant to the next one, hoping that the next one would work. Oh my God, it was the blizzard of 78. And in Boston, they started shutting down the hospital, it meant that they were going into high alert and that no one, no staff, no physicians, no anyone um, was allowed to leave. We were on shutdown and unfortunately Sefton's doctor was on the outside, so he could not come into the hospital for two weeks. And during that time, Sefton went into a crisis and he was bleeding and they did not think that they could stop it. So Dr. Heron said, you need to get Buddy up here. And we're like, how? This was before cell phones and the things that we take for granted today. So what we had to do, because they had shut down 95 and 128 and only National Guard were allowed and snowplows, we had to figure out a way to get him clearance to get in a car and drive up here if he could get through. I spent the next day making phone calls back and forth from the Red Cross in Greenville trying to get papers created for Buddy so that he could carry them. And then the Red Cross created papers and put them in Buddy's hands so that if he were stopped, that they would say, you know, this is a medical emergency, he's got to go. Because there were no planes or anything. Everything was grounded. It, it, I mean, the world was white. And so he got on the road and when he finally got there, he had our dog with him in the car. And he said, I got behind a snowplow and um, I followed the plow all the way up the road. And he finally got there and he was, he was tired. Yeah, that was, it, it's a long drive from Greenville to Boston. And when you're in those conditions, and he said the only thing he could ever see because there was so much snow was the light, the glaring light um, that was coming off of the back of the snowplow. 
there were several parents, everybody that was there was put to work. And we ended up um, taking food trays and going around the hospital and doing work with, with other patients in the hospital, you know, as parents. I mean, they just like, we need your help. We need you in the kitchen. We need you serving. We need you doing this and that. So we'd been there probably for about 10 days, couldn't get out of the hospital. Hard part about it, though, was that Sefton's doctor was on the outside and he couldn't get in, and I was frantic. I was frantic because of that. Sefton was on dialysis. There were power outages, and of course the hospital as well, you know, supplied with generators. And so everybody became accustomed to power going out, and you would start counting one, two, three, four, five. And the generators would kick in and everybody, you know, lights and everything would come back. And so Sefton is on dialysis. I'm on the first floor. Dialysis is 12th floor. And power went out, sure enough. And it is dark in a hospital when the power goes out. It is pure blackness. And everything went out. And I started counting because Sefton was on dialysis. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I started running and feeling my way down the hall to a staircase because I knew there were no elevators or anything. It was so dark. And I ran as hard as I could up those 12 flights of steps. I couldn't run at the top because I was so out of breath. Blackness, like I'll never forget that darkness. And I went out the door and there were literally two nurses standing on either side of that door Oh, this is hard. And they literally caught me. I knew the dialysis machine had gone out and he probably had died by now. They literally caught me and said, he's okay, he's okay. We can manually pump. That they were able to manually pump the machine and he was okay. But they were standing there waiting on me. And it was, um, so this is, this, is, this is what this place is all about. I mean, they knew that I would be on the way. And I got in there and sure enough, they were manually pumping this dialysis machine because the generators had not kicked in. After the fourth transplant, I walked into the director's office, this six foot tall, really elegant man. And I went to the, to the receptionist and I said, I just wanted to come and say a quick hello and thank you. And I walked in and she said, oh, Ms. Parnell, how are you? And I'm like, how did she know who I was? And she said, how is Sefton? How do you know who I am? How do you know who Sefton is? And she said, we get a daily report on Sefton. This is the director of Mass General. So anyway, I go and I sit down with Dr. Buchanan and he says to me, Miss Parnell, I want to tell you that one of the great joys of my life every day in this hospital is when I look out and I see you and Sefton and the babies, Jeffrey and Lizzie, out on the bullfinch lawn. And I would take them out there and we would play and have picnics because we had birthdays out there. We had Easter egg hunts on the bullfinch lawn. And I thought, how humane that this man directing this grand medical facility would get daily reports on Sefton and was watching my babies and my family grow up. And he said, I want to thank you for giving us the honor of taking care of you and your family. Thanks again to Mary Jane and Lizzie Parnell for being kind enough to sit down and share their story with us. We'll be back 
with more episodes of Murder Etc. very soon.